Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. Hello and what's happening, Soil Cousins? It's your girl, Cola B. Talking, and I am looking forward to introducing you to an international guest on today. And in celebration of having a very illustrious international guest, I thought that it was time once again for us to do a Soil Cousins shout out and just shout out some of the countries that Black in the Garden is getting love in. We are always thrilled to get the love. We love to see it. So let's just start with the UK. It's happening over there. We see y'all. Canada, Australia, Germany. We're getting love from Europe. You see that? France, Netherlands, Switzerland. It's happening out there. South Africa. Now, our guest is actually from South Africa. And fun fact, in case you did not know, Black in the Garden has peaked at number one on the Home and Garden charts in South Africa. So we are very excited about that. And I don't have all those stats with me right now because I'm just emphasizing, shouting out our international soil cousins in Ireland, New Zealand, Zealand, I know how to say it, Djibouti, Spain, the US Virgin Islands, what's up with Wagwan? Uh, the UAE, United Arab Emirates, Sweden, Denmark, Austria, Austria, I know how to, I'm telling y'all, I be knowing how to say stuff. Portugal, India, Luxembourg, Kenya, Brazil, Belgium, Mexico, okay, Trinidad and Tobago, Thailand, Chile, all right, it's happening in Israel, y'all listening out there, my soil cousins are representing in Estonia and Bangladesh, we love the love, also Finland, Cyprus, Pakistan, and Russia. Oh, shoot. I thought that I was... Y'all, I thought that I was at the bottom of the list. I'm scrolling down the list. <laughs> How about Iran, Hungary, Costa Rica, South Korea? Okay, what y'all know out there about Black in the Garden in South Korea? Indonesia, Panama, Slovenia, Ecuador. Y'all, I, for real, I thought that I was at the bottom. I think I'm at the bottom of the list now. Shout out to Serbia, Guatemala, the Czech Republic, the Republic of Lithuania, and I think we already said Ecuador. Turkey, what's up? All the soil cousins around the world. I am excited about con just considering the ways that we will go about celebrating together when we're able to, you know, do international travel. But that is something that I will absolutely be claiming and manifesting for Black in the Garden is that our international soil cousins will figure out a continent. We'll pick one we'll, or we'll pick five. We'll, we'll pick them all and we'll all get together and exchange some dope stories and tips about what's happening with us in our respective places where we live or I don't know. I don't know. Something like that's going to happen. You you feel me. You're with me. So on today, our guest is from South Africa, and we are looking forward to getting into that. Y'all, Soil Cousins, listen, hear me out. Let me explain. In this interview, I know, I just know I was excited. 
I know why I was excited. And it had a lot to do with the fact that I was having a conversation where I really just wanted to unpack so much with a very dynamic young woman who is, her name is Ashler. That is the best that I can pronounce. And I'm going to do my best because I want to put some respect on it. Okay. We had a conversation, very intelligent and multifaceted uh, black woman, which we love. Don't I mean, obviously you love those kind because I am she as well. And you're listening to me. <laughs> but yeah, I was so very hype to get to have a conversation with her about so much because there's this connection uh, between the way that we have progressed when it comes to considering the diaspora, considering Black people who never left Africa, Africans, that's what we call them. And let me also make sure that we are clear, Africa is not a monolith and it is certainly not a country. It is a continent. Okay, so we are aware of that. Let's make sure that we are clear about that. But specifically talking about South Africa and the ending of apartheid, and I love how she says it. Oh, we have an accent. There's just so much going on here. Um, but just considering the connection between colonialism and, and the way that black people and brown people have been colonized and how that's connected with agriculture and how that is connected to the people. And it's just, it's interesting how those agri those horrible agricultural practices, and I guess we, agriculture was the business, but the lack of morals and the lack of just scruples or integrity or whatever, as far as doing right by the people, that is a common theme. That's the common theme. We still see that to this day in various industries. But I was just particularly excited to have come across in the Farmer Bay hashtag because, you know, you got to be diverse about how you source. All right. But yes, came across this gorgeous woman. And it's it's always fun when we come across women who are not who are a stark in stark contrast to what the stereotypical image is of the person we imagine doing that thing. In this case, we're talking about farming. So listen, let's just keep in mind, the diaspora is everywhere. It's across the world. We just wanna have conversations like this to connect it, all right? Black history knows no bounds. Black excellence is can be in any jurisdiction, all right? And this is no different. This conversation was amazing. And if you would like to get into the extended video uncut version of this interview, make sure that you become a patron on today. And there are perks involved in that, but we're not here to talk all about that. You can find the link to that in the show notes. But of course, supporting creatives is also in your best interest. And we appreciate you for that. Appreciate you for tuning in to Black in the Garden for yet another amazing, incredible, highly energetic interview with Ashler. I will let her say her name herself so that y'all can hear it said correctly. I'm going to get there, but I'm not there yet. Soil Cousins, enjoy.
Today on Black in the Garden, I am so excited to introduce to you yet another international guest who is coming to join us all the way from Johannesburg, South Africa. She is a farmer bay. Oh my God. She's a first generation farmer, a student and activist for food security and a visionary. Her name, let me make sure I'm saying this right. Matulare. Ashla Matiche. Thank you so much for joining us. You said that you have a produce company and what's it called? Matus from fish, veggies and poultry. Ooh. Okay. So Matu is also your nickname, I understand. Yes, yes. Right, because I I asked at the beginning, I'm like, hey, so can I get a nickname if that's okay? (laughs) Not in that way white people be asking you if they could call you something else because they don't want to say your name. It's like, no, I'm going to say it. Let me make sure I get it right. So I'm so glad to have you. I'm so excited about everything that you have to share with us. Y'all, I feel very certain that for the most part, everybody going to learn something today. So everybody chill, relax. And this is going to be a really good one. I'm excited. So I want to start with the first question that I asked my guests as, you know, we're going into season three. I just want to kind of switch it up and ask, when did you first realize that plants were an important part of your life? Oh, wow. Okay. So this was in 2009 when I Mm -hmm. first moved to Atlanta. And I'd spent some time around like the Little Five Points area. And there was like a very large I love Little Five community. Points. Yes. Yes. It was, it was, yes. It was like a, a little, you know, vegan community. There's like a vegan shop there. And, yet, you know, I, I started going around there a lot and then adopted a plant-based lifestyle, you know, oh. which led me all the way down the rabbit hole of actually participating in agriculture. But most importantly, it was also through a very beautiful documentary that is called the secret life of plants it features tv wonder yeah so there's like the music aspect yeah. to it just resonated with me yeah yeah is that tv wonder place is that an life. album it was an album and okay a movie yeah so he made the music specifically for the movie secret life of plants and when you watch that documentary and you just start to understand plants to be a living being uh-huh. And then, you know, to adopt the plant-based lifestyle oh and then to God. really want to be interested in the processes that, you know, help the plants grow. That's what put me in the place that I'm in today. Thank you so much for that, because we're absolutely yeah. going to do a viewing. I don't know if it's going to happen before or after we record this, but I we got to all watch this together, y'all. And we have the technology <laughs> to be able to do that. Yeah. I love Everything that you just said, because that is so (laughs) like culturally relevant and deep. And that's so dope how that touched you. And there was music, you know, there's Stevie Wonder. He's a legend. And that changed your whole life. Yeah, because I was like, if he thinks this is important, like, why shouldn't I? And and then to just watch it and see how deep it was and how it went unearthed, you know? It's almost yeah. like one of those documentaries you run into by accident. I can't even remember how I ran into it, but it literally changed my life. I don't li- even look at plants the same till this day. That is, yeah. wow. Okay, so let's yeah. go back to childhood, being from South Africa, being a first-generation farmer. Tell us about your parents. My mom and dad are both from Soweto. Just to paint the scene, Soweto was a place where 
black people were moved. There's a history behind it and you can, people can look it up. This is part of a community that was removed. I want to be kind with exactly what it was, but it was almost like the creation of a concentration camp. This is where people were put to be dumped uh, because they were oh. working in the mines, right? So this, uh-huh. this is now my... Uh, my grandparents, they were tea ladies and kind of working those jobs that were black people were only allowed to work in uh, apartheid, right? So uh-huh. my parents are now that generation growing up through apartheid and having me, I was still born under what we consider the apartheid uh, regime because South Africa only became free of apartheid in 94. So I'm raised Not by two, two mm-hmm. black Sowetans who watched the country transform and kind of, you know, how Soweto, Soweto was like the epicenter of a lot of the, the change that happened. You know, there's a history around June 16th, which we consider Youth Day. The youth of Soweto is really what transformed the country, marching in the streets, try, bringing about the change that was needed for apartheid mm-hmm. to, to end. So you can imagine those are the people that raised me. So they're the first generation in their family to be able to purchase a house and have like a title deed. You know, wow. Before that, you didn't, you, you just, you registered at the office and you would, you, it's almost like project, like project housing. Like it's Ooh. never truly your property, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. There's a whole process that eliminates you from ever having ownership of it. The it's ownership very institutionalized. These, mm-hmm. Exactly. So I don't mean to get too deep in the history, but I'm trying to paint the picture of who these it's people okay. are. This is like the first generation, you know, that has an option to give their kids better. Like their parents never had an option to like educate them any better than they, they did. Now they're having us and we're free and we can go to whatever university you choose. If you're, you know, you're good enough to make it in, you're going to get in. They came from an era where like you were in an anomaly if you were able to get an education anything further than being a nurse or, you know, mm. a social worker or, you know, mm. those kind of jobs because apartheid systematically was keeping black people from saying beyond certain careers. Right. Like, not even, yeah, where you could go, but like even the career, you, you couldn't just choose it. You were only assigned certain careers as a black person. So that's who right. raised me. My father was kind of a more laid back, had a more laid back participation in, in that kind of thing, but kind of left school early, worked in factories. That's kind of what you did in order to survive, right? Mm-hmm. And my mother, on the other hand, her family played quite a vital role with my uncle playing a big part in, you know, the liberation and having to be in exile from some of the, mm-hmm. the you know, the, his participation basically in the anti-apartheid movement. So right. she grew up having to, you know, travel back and forth through the borders in order to assist him, you know, when he was in exile. And um, at some point, the story gets crazy, but that's her character. And mm-hmm. um, she ended up studying finance and, you know, and working her way. I, I grew up in like a middle class black family mm-hmm. in Soweto, in the, in the Soweto suburb, right? Because there's the old Soweto and then there's the Soweto where I live, where my parents were actually able to purchase a new home post-apartheid. So wow. I hope that paints the picture. Yeah, yeah. It does. <laughs> it, it goes from... Okay. The conditions that your parents Mm. endured as they were coming of age and ultimately had you and telling us the story of how your mom was able to get the family in a good position to have you be raised in a middle class home where 
you're a student now. Like, is your family helping you pay for your college? So I have such a unique situation, right? I moved to Atlanta when I was about 20 years old, right? And this is my early adulthood years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I was pursuing a music a music career quite Get aggressively. Out. I promise you. So I would... I worked with quite a lot of musicians in, in Atlanta. I've worked with musicians under So So Deaf, you know, uh-huh. having met Jermaine personally as well. Um, I've worked on records under like uh, Convict Music, Akon's label. So I really mm-hmm. was in the inner circles of the music industry mm-hmm. in Atlanta. So my focus was not even on education at the time. I did try to get into Spellman, but I failed to get a sponsor to sponsor my visa. Ended up having to be on a worker visa and then Mm -hmm. just focused on music for years for years that is amazing i didn't even know this part of your story because (laughs) the way that you told me about your work and how you came to do the work that you do in the introductory that i've had of you introduction of course you couldn't get into all the details of your life but that was so compelling that I didn't even realize, oh, there's so many layers. You know, Black women be having yes. all these layers <laughs> and have lived all these lives. And you're like, child, I used yes. to be a musician. I used to <laughs> sing back up for Akon and them. So I am you know loving I mean? <laughs> just peeling back the layers. And what year were yeah, you in so, Atlanta? Um, I, I don't want, if you don't mind, oh, I'm trying no, to politely no. ask. I know how we went. No, are, no problem. About yes, like, when were you born? So, like you were 20 in Atlanta. Paint the picture. Yes. What year was that? So if you don't this mind. is 2009. This is 2009. That was a good year for music. Yes, it was. It was a good year for mm-hmm. Elena, for Elena music. Yeah. Um, so I lived in Connecticut for two years prior to that, right? Okay. And I felt so displaced. It was a great experience. I was having like this new American life, but I came to Atlanta and I saw black people <laughs> i was like these are my people let's <laughs> do that <laughs> that is a question and i'm i'm so glad yeah. that you pretty much beat me there i love it when my guests do that y'all be like answering the question before i can ask which is like yeah, we're on no, the right wavelength like... so okay the question is concerning your perception of black people in america before you yeah. came to america and after you came to america and actually had a very black ass experience because you spent time in Atlanta, of course, but you said you originally came to Connecticut. So tell us about, yeah, your, your perception. And I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, well, where is it? So I'm glad I remember what I wrote, but (laughs) yes, girl, tell us about what it was like coming over here. So meeting African-Americans, what you guys don't realize is that you look like us. So I'm seeing people who look like people I know. I know personally. You know, I'm like, oh my God, he yes. looks like my cousin. Oh, he looks like... The most bizarre thing was like, you guys couldn't understand my language. And it was like, so weird. Like a woman you'd expect to speak. I, I, I speak so so true and Setswana. I'm expecting this person to speak so so true and Setswana. And they're not. They're, oh. You know, this is a lady from whatever, from Alabama. Like, so wait a minute okay so you're saying it, it just, that you actually uh, would run up on people and be speaking the no, language but i would wish to i would wish to because oh I just okay like it would just connect me with them so much because they oh. because i was just seeing myself in them i'm like you are you That's are deep. something that is that is you know me in a way but you just don't you don't even know you don't even know that you look like my auntie who's a suit that just hit in, me in the chest in, South Africa, you know what I mean? Uh, and I've had arguments about people, but because some of them find it so hard to believe. But I'm, I promise you, you are 
you are us, right? And I think I that receive was... it. It's true. <laughs> yeah, that's just so deep so, on so many levels. It's like we yeah. are kin. I mean, it is a diaspora mm, yeah. for a Absolutely. reason. You know, we yeah. we and I've seen pictures. There's this whole page. I wish I could think of the name off the top of my head, but on Instagram, mm-hmm. there's a page where they share these like pictures that are showing ancient Africans in, mm. in photographs, you know, like old, very old photographs and showing yeah, them in comparison. Story. Yeah. In comparison mm. to contemporary photos of yeah. black people, especially like celebrities and rappers and stuff. And yeah. it is just, it's something that really kind of hits you in the chest. Cause you're like, Yes. Wow, the DNA, the ancestry. It yes, is so, it so resilient. Like, these are my people. Yeah. And it was just like That's um, lit. so it brought me comfort. And That's so good. Just, yeah, it did. It just, just brought me that comfort that I'm around my people. And not only that, to see so much black excellence. Oh Ooh. my God. Like it was so inspiring, you know, Go coming off. from a country that's just recovering from oppression right yes and here i'm in this country and there's just black excellence like everywhere you know yeah. black successful people black educated people like in mm. numbers you know mm-hmm. and it wasn't a ratio that we haven't reached in south africa even though we are a black minority country we haven't reached the ratios of black people having the amount of wealth that some of the black people, majority of the black people in Atlanta have, or, you know, the mm-hmm. educational background, you know what I mean? To have But HBCUs. there's a reason for that. There's oh a very specific reason for that, because we just said, and this is true, we know, look yeah. at the history, apartheid yeah. only ended in 1994. 1994. So you guys have had a little bit of a head start, right? Yes. And basically, I was seeing what what my country could be in a way, you know, uh-huh. and I was like, I was like, oh my God, if my people get good education, like look at, you yeah. know, the HBCUs, especially in Atlanta, you know, I applied to Spelman, like that was my dream to an HBCU. Wow. So I was like, it would just connect. It would connect because our ancestors have, have just won their battle of freedom, right? Like yes. 1994, literally. And then you right. guys have kind of had like a history of people who fought for your liberation and, to see the results of that place so beautifully in a place like Elena was like so heartwarming. Fun fact, not so fun. Mm -hmm. So apartheid ended in 1994. In America, the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964. Exactly Mm -hmm. 30 year difference. That's like a generation. Like, so literally like not even that 30 years is not even a whole generation. Uh, don't get me started lying on yeah, science, not even, but yeah. you know, yeah. but yeah, continue yeah generation your point. Like 40 years. what an illustration you're, you're able to yes. see that huge disparity in the mm-hmm. advancement of the American blacks mm-hmm. with the 30 year head start versus mm-hmm. what you know of your people who exactly. are still, you know, getting their footing. Cause, uh, and the reason why I said 1964 Civil Rights Act is, is because one of the comparisons that I meant to make, and I'll make it now, is that apartheid and Jim Crow, sim- very similar concepts, if not the same thing, but just different names in different continents, but same effects. So okay. when we were preparing to interview, what you said mm. to me is, I believe I can change people's lives with the knowledge, skills, and the information I have gathered by solving a problem they don't even realize is the core of mm. poverty and lack of food security in South Africa and the entire continent. So okay. having said that, I want to you know, just continue on that path and talk 
more about what you know about the American perception of African food insecurity and how you are going about changing the narrative there. This having this conversation is part of changing the narrative because we definitely Americans have a misconception of what food insecurity is like in Africa. Can you speak to that? This is so beautiful that I'm speaking to an African-American podcast because the answer ties in with how having interacted with the African-American community has put me on the journey that I'm on. So when I made the decision to go study agriculture now, I was Mm -hmm. working for a black uh, businesswoman, right? Mm -hmm. And this was probably the most wealthiest I've ever met personally, like that I would know personally and I can... That I know that knows me. <laughs> Somebody balling. Um, yeah, exactly. She's like, that was the rich. You said she was a black woman, right? She was a black woman. And she was. That was the most ballingest black woman you had ever Double. met. Yeah. So That's I'm like, elevator in her house. And, you know, uh, she's, she's, yes, she went to Howard. She, you know what I mean? Like everything go that off. you want. Yeah. And and maybe, I don't know if she'd want me to speak on her, so I won't say her name. We but will. I, you can tell I me consider, offline. <laughs> I consider her a mentor, you know. So I worked for her, but we would mm. have these interesting conversations because she was equally curious about all these things that you, I'm sure a lot of you were curious about. And then she had yes. me in her home. So I was a living aide, right? So mm-hmm. it was, we had a completely different there? experience. I would... I lived there. So I would travel with her on business. She would go and meet like your Cory Booker in New Jersey. I'd be there. Like these are some of the experiences that I, that I interacted with. Let me find out you've been rubbing elbows. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I see you. Okay. That's dope. she was what such a beautiful expression of black excellence in, in all the ways that I described Amazing. to you. And she tried to teach me how mm-hmm. to apply that for myself. And she definitely stamped the education part. Because I was like, you know, this music thing is going to work out. And she was just like, but she, like the education, this is, you know, this, this is the importance of having an education, the information that you're going to have, yes. the networks that you're going to create. So she kind of put me in that path where I started to look at education a little differently she started she she pointed out the things that i wanted and she was like if, if you're trying to get to those levels you need the uh-huh. information that's going to keep you there if you know so if you want to be able to have keep up with those conversations you need to have that information that's going to you know so she played that role in in helping me understand that first location was important but right. the most important thing that happened about our conversations is one day she asked me why are the white south africans and South Africa is still wealthy. She's like, if South Africa is such a poor country, why are the white people still doing okay? (laughs) And I said, they are in agriculture. And she said, that's it. She said, that's it, Ashna. That's what Okay, so why is agriculture so relevant as that being the explanation? It's like when y'all said hey when you just explained to her this agriculture she saw that okay respect that's relevant why is agriculture synonymous with wealth for these white people in south africa because just throughout the history right they've had the monopoly in the industry Mm. they've always worked the industry since Mm. colonization began 
And an interesting fact is what we were speaking about earlier, where I tried to explain to you that the word boer in South Africa means white person, right? It means white Afrikaner person, because there's mm-hmm. a distinction between the Anglo and the Boers, right? So the Anglo mm-hmm. would be your English white settlers who colonized. That's why South Africa is called South Africa, because it was colonized by the British. And there mm-hmm. was even civil war amongst the Boers and the English over South Africa. So that's where the wow. distinction became very clear, that there is the... English white person in South Africa, and then there is the Afrikaner Pur, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Pur is also translated from Afrikaans to English means farmer. So okay. it just, it's, it's basically, I'm, I'm trying to explain to you how a particular race can have such a stronghold on an industry that they become synonymous with it. It's like if black people okay. were in painting and, and every time you refer to a black person, you say painter. That's mm-hmm. how we refer to the Afrikaner white person in South Africa as a boot, which is a, a farmer, because they've had mm-hmm. such a stronghold on the agricultural industry or right. you know, any kind of activity from you know the 16th century. The college that I the went 16th to... 16th century? That's, yes. that's quite some time. That's deep. You said yeah. about 350 years, right? Yeah, it's quite a head start. An interesting fact, the school that I, the college that I went to is over 100 years old. Porch College mm-hmm. of Agriculture, it's about 109 years old. So mm-hmm. you can imagine how long, if they, if they built a college, an agricultural college, 100 years ago, that's, I think, close mm-hmm. to something like, might be close to like 100 hectares of land. It's might sit on about 100 hectares of land. Mm-hmm. And they had so many precincts and it had all the equipment you can think of 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. That should tell you how much strength and resources they had in that particular industry, you know, to have built those wow. kind of resources for themselves, for themselves. Wow. There's so much more to learn. I encourage you all to look more into, you said, the border. I, you know I got to get my tongue right. B-O-E-R. <laughs> But it sounds so beautiful when you say it, obviously. And (laughs) did I ask you already? I meant to ask when you were talking about going up to people about the languages that you speak. Remember when you were saying that you would see someone and she looked like your cousin and you would want to speak to her (laughs) in in a a native language? What are the languages that you speak? Oh, so, okay. My mother is Zulu and Mm -hmm. my father is Tswana. So Mm -hmm. I speak Sutu, which is... The reason behind that is because being from Soweto, it's such a medley of languages that we've settled on the two most common, which is Zulu and Sutu. But mm-hmm. there are different other dialects that are similar to that language. Zulu would be maybe closer to Kosa and uh, maybe Sutu would be closer to Tswana and Sipedi. So we've chosen Zulu and Sutu. So even though my tribe is Tswana, I speak Sutu because it is the most common language in the area in which I live. But that's a very unique characteristic to, to Johannesburg specifically because there's not really a native tribe that dominates here. Everyone, every tribe is from different places. The mm. settlement to Johannesburg came uh, uh, during the gold rush in South Africa. So, yeah. When was the gold long- rush? Oh, gosh, I wish I, I knew the year specifically, even though I used to be a history buff. But you guys can look up, uh, I mean... Let me, let's what would we look up? up? Tell us what to ask Auntie Google. Auntie Google, when was the gold rush to in Johannesburg, South Africa? Because Boom. Johannesburg is called Gauteng, which means the city of gold. 
so the movement towards Johannesburg was mainly around the discovery of gold. And so people bought workers or slaves or, you, you know, how, or the position of the black man when it comes to labor, right? Yeah. People would bring their labor from different parts of the country. So mm-hmm. as uh, colonization was happening, uh, they were settling in different parts. So when, you know, word got out to Europe that Europe and the Americas, that there was gold here, there was the gold rush, and therefore a lot of people found themselves working in the mining industry in which they still do till this day, you know, but Whoa. not really in ownership. Yeah, not really in ownership, but mostly in like working as, as mine workers. And what that led is it led to the migration of the native South Africans from their different tribes to Johannesburg mm-hmm. and different languages were adopted because of that, and the dialects had to change to accommodate the medley of, you know, we have uh, 11 the official language languages. Changed. So the medley, yeah, so we had a medley of 11 languages coming together, you know, in, in, in the center of the country, which is Johannesburg. And that's why there's such a, a story behind language as well, especially just for me specifically being from Soweto. A person maybe from KwaZulu-Natal would be maybe more fluent in Zulu because that's the Zulu state and they were probably raised in a pure Zulu household. But their Zulu and my Zulu would be completely different because mine is watered down because it had to accommodate the city living of Johannesburg that is the medley of the country, basically. You mentioned about your mentor and how you were helping her and you had been in Atlanta, you were, you know, in the music scene, you was popping. So (laughs) transition us into how you got into education and and how that has changed you in so many ways and gotten you into agriculture as a farmer, a first-generation farmer. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I've told you how being in America was one of the most exciting experiences for me. Yeah. And all I could think of was my people can have this too. It's like, I wanted to take part of it and just take, bring it home, you know, to be like, we can be excellent. We can be brilliant. We can do our own things. We can have our own colleges. We can feed ourselves. We, you know what I mean? I I, I wanted these, I wanted to reiterate these concepts to my own people. Like I, Mm -hmm. I loved America so much. I, I didn't even know if I'd ever come back to South Africa. But I decided that I wanted to pursue an education in agriculture, but I was going to do it at home, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of that was also just reconnect with my family. I'd been away for like seven years, which is a very long time. So I felt like, let me kill two birds once on, let me reconnect with my family, which I understand is super important now that I've spent so much time away. I can always do music there and then get my education at the same time and people won't get it, but I know what I'm doing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I first applied at the University of KZN, but I decided I didn't want to move so far and then kind of drifted away, you know, doing other things, but never really leaving agriculture. So I would volunteer at urban gardens around the city. So I found out there was city farming. I was like, ah, oh, like, this wow. is perfect. This is me. I'm yeah. in the city and I love farming like this works so i was working in you know and started volunteering around these community gardens and still pursuing my music career and right about the time that i put my single out i had my daughter right and what and you're a mom too like gosh (laughs) that's amazing i'm so impressed So now I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this little girl is about to come into the world. Mm-hmm. Who is her mom? You know, who is her mom? Ooh. And I decided that 
I, you know, she was going to be a black woman, you know, who's educated in, in you know, in agriculture, this industry that I need totally needs black presence. <laughs> Wait, you just, as a fellow parent, you just said something so profound. I've had so many conversations about like parenting and the, the kind of ideals and the romanticism that we have when we are considering having children, especially when we're pregnant, right? And what you just said was just so incredible to me because you said when you realize that you are about to have this child, this daughter, your main concern, your focus became who is her mom going to be? Yeah. It's always yeah. like the other way around. It's always like, yeah. who is this who, child going to be? I got to yeah. think of this name for this child. I want this child yeah. to be a ballerina or, you know, a pop star <laughs> or yeah. a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And that just, wow, just changing the focus. Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I just think that is so profound. So I thought that that was worth, yeah. you know, remarking on because that's incredible. And, and you can't, you got your answer. So yeah. continue with that. I just wanted to pause there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I just felt like, okay, it's going to, she's going to be a woman who does important things and, and has foresight mm. and doesn't make excuses. And you know, like I, that's who I decided to be. And part of that was pursuing my career my education, right? Starting over because mm. I took small short courses and, you know, uh, under UCLA when I was in the States or whatever, but never completed a full college education, did the mm. whole music thing. And that's where the, the love for being glamorous and beauty came in. And then oh, thank now you for letting me know. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. going to ask. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, and then like, and now having pursued being pretty and, and, you know, you know, being as, as beautiful as you possibly can, because that's, that's basically the idea when you're a musician, you have to be like mm-hmm. the picture of perfection. Right. And yes. not, not to take away from, you know, the look that makeup is, or, you know, enjoying, you know, making yourself up or whatever the case may be, but it's a mm-hmm. completely different world to agriculture where it has absolutely no role, you know, in a way, like there is yeah. no for, for lipstick on the farm. Like, it's just you not are, practical. You know, yeah. It's not practical. Right. So, uh-huh. but yeah, I, I've definitely wanted to merge um, the two worlds and to never feel like I have to give one up for the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. But I'm, I've also kind of lost my train of thought, but I want to get back to, okay, now deciding who's this person going to meet. I'm going to do important things, but I won't lose myself. I won't Aww. let go of any of my dreams because I'm not going to make her an excuse. You know, yes. I'm not going to say because of you, I didn't Ooh, you know, pursue come this on. thing. Because, yeah. So that, that, that happens a lot too. And now somebody's yeah. getting triggered. Somebody's getting triggered. Yeah. I might be one of them. No, so my I went to, goodness. When I, went to Porch, when I went to Porch College of Agriculture, mm-hmm. my child was also attending preschool there. So, you know, wherever I was, she was. And if I mm-hmm. had practicals on the farm at the dairy, she's there with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just bringing her to this world so that she can grow up in it and understand that it's important and, you know, she has a place in it. And, yeah. you know, she won't be the first generation. You know, she'll grow up and say, I grew up on a farm or I grew up having this yes. experience and I feel so grateful to be able to give it to her the way that I that I have been able to but that's also been through the help of my partner so you mm-hmm. were also asking about how I funded my career it was a conscious decision we made mm-hmm. to be like babe let's just fasten our laces and focus on getting you these skills because we understand 
how important they are for our, not only our future, but the future of our, of our people. That literally was our intention behind that. So, mm-hmm. and raising a child at the same time, you can imagine the kind wow. of stresses and the things that we, we went through to just make it the spot where I'm actually, I'm on the farm now. I'm working in the industry. I, I have some of the answers that I've always wanted. And, you know, I, there's a future that I can actually physically plan because I know how to yeah. get there, you know visionary visionary (laughs) so when you refer to the farm because i like to paint the picture so the farm that you are currently working on tell us more about like what all your roles are there and in some of the technicalities of what it is that you do wow okay so very interesting story about the farm that i work at it's called cradle farms but before that it was called dikla and the the nice thing about it is when I started trying to pursue my career in agriculture, I took short courses, short courses first. Mm. And Cradle Farms, or at the time, Dikla, was the first place I went to take my first course. And then come some four years later, I'm back there now working as their intern, right? Because I'm interning mm-hmm. for my qualification, my third year um, in practice qualification, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just funny how life happened where I just came full circle to working at that farm. But coming wow. to the farm, I came in at a very dynamic time. They were going through change of management, right? Mm -hmm. It's a black-owned farm, and they were going from the management that they had to new management. The manager of the farm is a white female lady, and it's not a secret why she got the job. She just is more experienced, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, (laughs) it's still the reality of... So there was no racism. She was legitimately more qualified. You also have to understand there's a 350 your history behind why why she's more qualified yeah oh right (laughs) yeah that again it's not even to yeah it's not even be to be mean or it's no shade to say it's no shade it's Mm -hmm, just it mm -hmm. is what it is she was more qualified to be in that position and therefore she's running the business and doing it very well but you're speaking to what's happening (laughs) once again the parallels is like that's happening here where i am getting inquiries from various institutions where they need horticultural expertise and whereas we once had that you know our ancestors absolutely possessed that now Mm -hmm. it is in higher demand because these companies want to hire black people doing it the problem is it's just a huge shortage of black people doing it and that is rooted in so many things, including the lack of yeah. representation, the lack of pride in it. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. happening in America. But the, 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 the whole theme of this conversation or part of one of the things of this conversation is the parallels. Mm-hmm. Just off of you saying, explaining why this white woman was more qualified to fill this yeah. role on this farm as you're telling us about your work. I forget. Yeah. We just went off on a little sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I, do, I work under her management, but my role has kind of changed over time. I first came in on a very entry-level role where I'm literally helping operations. If we're de-weeding, I'm de-weeding and I'm supervising if it's done well. If we're fertilizing, mm-hmm. I'm fertilizing, you know, and kind of playing that role of supervision at first, right? And mm-hmm. then uh, the role kind of how can I say, transformed into something else where there's a history behind... The, I, have a, I have a profile of sales. I worked as a travel agent when I first came back while still trying to figure out if um, if what 
what is it uh, farming was going to work out. So mm-hmm. I have a sales background um, that was able to assist the business's academy side, right? Oh. So I now went from, okay, working on the field, helping out as an intern to be like, okay, how do we transform um, you know, the presence, the, the digital presence, most importantly, of academy that they're running as well, alongside the farm. So my mm-hmm. role has kind of been, t- has taken up that space where I'm doing the digital marketing, the digital content, and I do this in a unique way where I use the information that I have in agriculture to entice people to come for more training because I know what answers they need, right? And I, I know there's a big community of black people who want to get into farming, but they don't have the information. And I'm like, you know, basically waving the flag to be like, come to us, you know, at least if I can help it, I can help you at least take the first step, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to getting the basic information in a particular industry. So I post wow. stats, I post how much the, how much maybe the poultry industry makes in South Africa, which is mm-hmm. over 40 uh, million rands. Please do the math. Uh, $1, $1 is 16 of our rands. So uh, 40 oh. billion, excuse me, 40 billion rand industry. So you're okay. st- still, you're still, those are still quite high numbers in South Africa. Yeah. So how, and we're still importing. So how are you participating in the industry? So this is, this is how I position my post to bring awareness to the gaps that are really needed in agriculture. And I, I point the arrow at skills and acquiring skills because i know that's acquiring. what's helped me yes yes i know that's mm. what's helped me at least be able to shine a light in the direction that i'm taking into the future i started with informing myself and and that's what i'm trying to do for other people just to shine the light as bright as possible to be like come this way get the skills wow. and then we can really get into this industry because we are going to benefit, you know, we're going to benefit in the long run for many other reasons besides just hunger. Like there's a new term that I heard on another agricultural podcast called social cohesion. They said, they said, Mm -hmm. if if we can get agriculture, I have social cohesion. And I, and I believe it to be that we can make other things harmonious. We can build other industries if we just secure our food. So that's my, that's my thinking behind every single thing that I do in every single way Securing that I participate the food. on the farm. Absolutely. That is so amazing because I actually, I meant to mention this at the beginning, but today as we are recording, it is Marcus Garvey's birthday. And wow. I'm not sure, you know, what all you know about him, you, Mott, or listeners, soil cousins, y'all out there, but I just want to park on Marcus Garvey right quick, right? And what I was reading about him, because I was reading about him on the Girl Trek website, shout out to Girl Trek, is that his whole goal was to unite African and people of African descent across the diaspora and allow us to develop our own cultural, political, and economic systems free from foreign domination and outside influence, why does that sound so familiar? It's like that's <laughs> a part of, you know, it, you're operating it with the spirit of that. Oh my gosh. So when I started and I'm getting talking these to ideas. you today on his birthday, <laughs> which is like, what? And of course, and this was scheduled, you. but that part wasn't oh. scheduled. It was not. And let me tell you the beautiful thing. He definitely has a place in, the, in, in everything that I do as well. Because wow. when I discovered Marcus Garvey, I thought I was. I thought I was the only one who had these ideas. I, I was like, "Is it only Ooh, me? Because I'm from Africa. Is it just so me good. who feels like 
yo, we can do this. No, but to find out right. that he said that so long ago. Yes. Touched me so much because I and was that like, no one listened. Fuel. Mm-hmm. Right, because I'm like, no one listened then. Okay, it's different now. We have the internet. Like, like we can we can bring them we can bring them home. You know what I mean? We can help them yes. understand. So his presence, his work, is is real, and I, I can definitely be a testament to his purpose to put those ideas out and have the recordings that I could hear when I was in Atlanta and somehow stumbling okay. them on the internet you know, has has an effect on us having this conversation today because he, I feel like he was right. And I felt like I want to be an advocate for the very same thing because I'm like, we can do this together. And I'll tell you a little bit later about how I'm actually actively trying to do that in so many different industries outside of just agriculture. Yeah, we'll get to that. That's amazing. Yes. We're going to have to have you back on. We've, we have said as much as we can say in order uh-huh. to, you know, keep brevity intact. And the new thing that we're doing on season three is we are giving you the extended version of the interview on Patreon. And we are giving you an edited version just for the sake of time so that we can incorporate more value in 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 helping you to have all these other additional segments that we've added and so that's all like fun and exciting because you know just it's like you get the uncut version it is it is available in that way but anyway having said everything that we have said (laughs) yeah we will there's way more conversations to have I'm a visionary as well. So I'm like, oh, my mind is going in like 17 different directions, yes. just thinking of and all the should. possibilities. And, and this is just thrilling. So tell us more about how we can support you, how we can find you. I know you're on social media looking just yes. so fly, uh, which <laughs> we didn't even get to get into the style all the way, but you did yeah. indicate how you came into that. But yeah, tell us how we can find you and support you. Oh my gosh. My main page is Ashla 2.0. And then, yeah, my business is Matu's Veggies and Poultry. Uh, mm-hmm. But those are the, probably the most active places that I am. Facebook as well, Ashla Musica Matiche. That's my name on there. Also, I'm under a lot of groups on, on Facebook around agriculture. So people have probably seen me on Farm Talk, on which is uh, like a South African a farmers network. I post mm-hmm. a lot on there around training, around you know wow. skills, acquiring skills, and all and all those things. But most importantly, just speaking to um, you know the P, the internationals who are listening to this podcast, connect with us. You know, just to follow the page, just to see what a day in South Africa is like, and to see maybe what kind of experience that you would have to just keeping your eye on the continent, just even your eyes, just to be like, what's yeah. happening over there, you know? I would often tell my friends when I still lived in the States that Africa's not Atlantis, like we're not underwater, we're not gone, we're here, you mm. can come. <laughs> you I'm can coming. come over, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. But, um, uh, it was so interesting, we actually had some, some friends from Atlanta and Texas who were here in December and they couldn't wait to come back until uh, COVID-19 happened and stop them. But they, it was so beautiful to have <laughs> people that I know, people that yes. I know from Atlanta come to South Africa and be like, this has changed my life. And I'm yeah. hoping for that kind of experience with you guys, for you I'll guys I'll come I don't know well. what you're talking about. You know, yeah, especially around <laughs> agriculture because that's the space that I'm moving in. So if you want to have kind of that agri-tourism experience, please feel free to talk to me. And once the restrictions are lifted, wow, 
we can definitely make that happen. I feel like both of our communities can benefit from those type of connections. And they, yeah, sure. I mean, look at technology. Like I started a WhatsApp group two days ago. It has over 250 people on it. So mm. we really could create those kind of networks easy and it just takes us wanting to do it and not being scared about what's on the other side because what's on the other side is just people like me who are basically people like you you know so we that's right and we look alike too exactly exactly We're the same. that's amazing We're the same. we've said all we gonna say on this interview yeah. i'm so excited about what our next conversation will be like on black in the garden and uh, any other conversations yeah. that we get to have so thank you mm-hmm. and i you know i conclude black in the garden with Love, light, and soil. Right. Thank you for having me. I think it's safe to say that after listening to this interview, we all are sitting up a little bit straighter. We are smarter. We are inspired to learn more about everything that we just talked about because there's still so much more to unpack. And I really appreciate having this conversation, especially across as many time zones as as it was, we were able to somewhat seamlessly get together and make this happen. And so definitely continue to keep up. Look in the show notes so that you can keep up with Ashler and what all the most amazing things that she's doing, all of the Farmer Bay looks that she's serving, but more importantly, all of the farming, agricultural, and food justice work that she is involved in. That's the important stuff, not just being cute. (laughs) So you know how much I appreciate you getting to this part of Black in the Garden. It's the end. Everything that you need to know is in the show notes. I try to make it simple for you to have that reference. So definitely keep up on the socials. Make sure that you are, you know, taking some careful consideration about becoming a patron so that you can support a creative. Because as far as I see it, if you one who listens to this part, then that means that you really rocking with Black in the Garden anyway. And it just seems natural that you would want to support in that way if that's something that you're able to do. So patreon.com forward slash Black in the Garden and everything else that you need is in the show notes. Everybody be careful and stay calm and protect your peace as much as possible. Stay safe. And I'm going to wish you love, light, and soil.